Would you let a complete stranger who approached you on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere change the entire trajectory of your life? Because that's what happens here. Philip, this man, the stranger to this other man, this Ethiopian, approaches him in the desert, on the road, in the middle of nowhere, and the result of this, this interaction is that the Ethiopian's life is completely changed forever. Why? And more importantly, like, how do you, or how do I, typically respond to a complete stranger who approaches you on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere? That's only happened to me one time in my life, and I was, I was not in the desert of Acts 8. I was in uh, the middle of nowhere in Illinois, so not like the desert, more like a corn desert um, in central Illinois, and, and my tire had gone flat, then my spare tire had gone flat, and so uh, I, middle of nowhere, so I had about a 10-mile walk to the next uh, tire shop ahead, and, and so I get out, I start walking, and I get about 300 yards down the road, and a truck, uh, a white truck, pulls up next to me, and this, this large guy, reddish blonde hair, yells out his window, hey, do you need a ride? Uh, now, typically, I would never get in a car with a stranger, um, but I know, typically don't have 10-mile walks to the next tire shop, and so I'm like, all right, I'll fudge on this rule for once, and so I did, I get in the car, and as we start to drive off, I realize I've left my wallet back in the car behind me. It was like 300 yards behind me. We're on the interstate. And so I tell the guy, hold on, wait a minute. Um, my wallet's back there. Let me just run back and get it really quick. And once I get it, I'll, I'll run back. It won't take long. And, and as I started to get out of the car, he says, no, 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 don't do that. I got this. I was like, what? And so he, he, he throws the car into reverse on the interstate and doesn't, doesn't nudge us or gently nudge us back to my car. I mean, he like floors the gas. And we're going about 30 in reverse on the shoulder of the interstate as people are flying by us 70, 80 miles an hour. And so we get all the way back to my car, and I realize, like, I can't get away from this guy. Like, there's not a house. There's no one to call for help. My car only has three tires on it. I can't drive away. So, like, I'm stuck with this guy. And so I, go, I get my wallet, and I get back in the truck because I don't think I can outrun him. He clearly already will drive very fast in reverse in the interstate. So I can't run away from him. And I get back in the truck. We start driving down to the next tire shop. And as we get a little bit further down uh, the road, he... He looks at me and says, hey, we don't have your tire. And we need your tire for the tire shop to be able to replace it. And so we need to go back and get your tire. And I was like, no, it's okay. Because I'm thinking the next exit's like eight miles ahead. You turn around, you got to go like another 15, 20 miles to the next exit behind. And you got to turn back around. I'm thinking like this would be 30, 40 minutes. It's like, don't worry about it. I have friends in the area. They can take care of it. Just give me to the tire shop. That's all, that's all I'm asking you to do. And then we'll never speak to each other again. Right? That's all we're going to do. But he says, no, 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 no. I got this. And he, uh, he slows down uh, to maybe 30 miles an hour. I don't know how fast we were going, but we were going entirely too fast. And he, uh, he yanks us over the median, which is not paved. It is grass, and it is a valley. And, and he yanks us over the median, and we just start, we start bouncing. Like, I'm bouncing in his truck. I think at one point I became weightless. Like, I f it felt like I was flying. My body wasn't touching anything. And we go over the median. We get on the other side of the interstate, and we start heading back towards my car. And I realized, we're going to have to do this again. To get on the other side of the interstate to my car. And we did it again. I went weightless again. We, we went over the median entirely too fast and got my tire and we're about on our way. And that's how, a typical, uh, that's how a typical interaction with a complete stranger on the side of the road goes. Only crazy people approach you on the side of the road. But that's not what happens in Acts 8. In Acts 8, a complete stranger, Philip, approaches this Ethiopian... And the Ethiopian's life on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere is forever changed. So how does that happen? Well, 
Luke, who authors this story, he tells us. And what happened was, beginning with this scripture, verse 36, Philip told the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus. And I read that, and I think that has to be really good news if a complete stranger on the side of the road completely changes your life. That has to be really good news. And so what is it? What is so good about the news the Ethiopian hears? And maybe you hear that, like, good news about Jesus, and your encounter with Christianity has not been, it's not been good news. Or your encounter with Christians or the church has not been particularly good news. Or maybe you've encountered that news, and it's like, it's not really changed your life. It's not dramatic. You couldn't imagine a complete stranger approaching you uh, with this, or maybe a complete stranger has approached you to talk to you about Jesus, and it's just weirded you out. It's just hard. Like, maybe Christianity isn't good news to you. It's more like bad news. Or maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and by now, Christianity, the, the, the news about Jesus, it's old news. It's not dramatic. It's not, it doesn't have a punch to it. What I want to do this morning is just ask, what, what was so good about what the Ethiopian heard that caused him to completely change where his life was headed? And not just that, but like to do that because of a complete stranger who approached him on the side of the road. What is so good about this? This news, And I want to I answer that question in three ways, one at a time, but just kind of going into the story and let the story give us an answer and unpack it one step at, at a time. So what's so good about this, this news? Well, to understand the question, like we have to understand the story, and the story begins with giving us a number of really crucial facts about what's happening here. And we're told uh, three important things. The first thing we're told is that this guy, he's an Ethiopian. Uh, which means he's from Africa, he's black, he's from a long way away. But in particular, Ethiopia was a really well-regarded kingdom in uh, in the Roman world. And so uh, he was from a well-known kingdom, Uh, he worked for this well-known kingdom. Um, But but most importantly, this Ethiopian kingdom was known as the end of the earth. It was the end of the world. Like, there was nothing beyond it. The ends of the earth was Ethiopia. And so this guy, as we find out, he's from the end of the world. The second thing we, we find out is that he's a, like he, is a, he is someone seeking after God. Now we're told he's gone from his kingdom of Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. That's a really long trip. Uh, the Ethiopian kingdom of Acts 8, it was, it's in our modern day southern Sudan. And so I was interested in that, like Google map that this week. Um, this guy would not have had access to Google map. I did, but I did that. And it's a 2,700 mile trip. It's the same distance from New York to Los Angeles. Like this guy who clearly, he wasn't a Jewish person. He was black. He was African. He's traveled a great distance to seek God. Is this the right religion? Is this the right God? He's reading from his scriptures, uh, from the Hebrew scriptures, as he travels. He's seeking after God and going great lengths to seek after God. And the third thing we're told, and this this is not like an Easter bunny topic, but it's important in the story, and that is he, he is a eunuch. Um, which means that, like, at some point in his life, someone had physically harmed his body so that he could not have children, could not have a family. And the implications of that for him would meant that he would have been a social outcast. He would have been, there would have been a lot of religions that he would not have been able to go into the worship service. Um, because of his status as a eunuch, he would have been excluded from a lot of things because of his status as a eunuch. And, and it's probably worth just pausing there for a minute, um, because I think that's why a lot of people look at religion or in particular, Christianity is being bad news is because Christianity excludes or the church excludes or Christians exclude other people. And if that's your encounter with Christianity or with the church, 
I mean, listen, I understand. First of all, I've encountered a lot of Christians like that who are very, very mean-spirited or very like, just self-righteous against other people. Um, but for a minute, if, if you could just kind of put, you know, those are not important, but just put them to the side and let God speak for himself for a minute. And what I mean by that, like, I hope if you came to my house and you saw the kind of how my house went on, like, you wouldn't just immediately make sweeping accusations or generalizations about me based on, like, how my two-year-old lives. And then if you came into my house, my two-year-old, he's a thief. Like, you just steal, like, if you have anything in your hand, he'll take it from you. And he has no, he doesn't care. He'll laugh at you as he runs away with it. He's a thief. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's physically violent. He just beats people for no reasons, um, grabs whatever he can find. I mean, it's just like if you came in and saw, like, whoa, this two-year-old is a thief and physically violent. What's wrong with his dad? Right? You just make sweeping. Don't do that. Like, just let me speak for myself, right? I mean, this is a two-year-old. He's immature. And there's lots, there's lots of churches, lots of Christians that are really immature and don't reflect God in, in very accurate ways. And so for a minute, just let God, let God speak for himself in this story. Now, what does God think about this Ethiopian? Does God want this Ethiopian as a part of his family? And there's two really stunning things in this chapter that... Um, they kind of begin the story. The first is that Philip is told by a messenger, verse 26, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So a messenger of God tells Philip, go into the middle of nowhere on that road. So he does. He goes into the middle of nowhere on this road. And then verse 29, we're told the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So then the Spirit of God says to Philip, that chariot, go over, go over next to it. That's pretty stunning what God, like God literally divinely orchestrates an encounter between Philip and this Ethiopian. This is the first thing, like when you think about Christianity as good news, the first thing I want to say about that is that in Christianity there is a place for every person. And there's a tension in this passage I really like. This Ethiopian, he's traveled 2,700 miles. He's reading the scriptures. He can, he's doing everything he can to get near to God. But, what, but in the end, it's, it's God who has chased him down. Almost as if the guy goes to the worship service. He, he experiences the worship service. He's leaving. He's still seeking. And God's like, oh, wait, I have, one, I have something else. And chases him down, runs him down. And what this shows us is that God, God is far more interested in this Ethiopian than this Ethiopian is interested in God. And I do not think it's a stretch to extend from this story into each one of our lives individually. God, however hard you think you're seeking God now, God is far more interested in you than you ever will be in him. God has done far more to chase you down and get into your life than you've done to try to get into his life. And I realize, maybe you hear that and you think, really, like, is that really true? And, and that's a question I think worth asking. Do you believe God is relentlessly interested in you. He's, he's pursuing you. He's running after you. Do you believe that? And maybe you hear that and think, well, hold on. I, this has never happened to me. Like, I've never been on the side of the road and someone's like, hey, the Spirit of God told me to come and tell you this. And, and I just want to say that's actually not true. Acts 8 is actually happening right now. And it's listen, it's not as good. It's not as dramatic, maybe. But the, like at some point in my life, God interrupted me and said, I want you to head into this particular path of life to, to go and tell, preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And I don't know how you ended up in your seat here this morning, but somehow you ended up here in your seat this morning, and God has sort of interacted and, and put this, this position in place for me to say to you this morning, God is, is interested in you. 
He's chasing after you. He wants to know you. He loves you. He cares for you. He made you. He created you. And I get, listen, I'm a, I'm a terrible replacement for Philip. It'd be way better if you were in Acts 8 than right now. I get it. But, but you cannot say God has not put someone in front of you to say, God is chasing after you. Because you know the Ethiopian, that Philip would have told the Ethiopian you, like, listen, I know this is really weird that I'm approaching your chariot, and normally this would mean I'm about to rob you or do something harmful to you, but, but actually God put me on this road. He told me to come over to this chariot. You, I mean, Philip would have said that, and here the Ethiopian hears that God is chasing him down. And here's the reality. If God is interested, and this is, I think, an explicit point of this text. If God is interested in a social outcast, a forgotten man who lives at the very end of the world, if God chased that man down, who won't he chase down? Who doesn't he pursue? Who, doesn't, who is he not interested in? If he's interested in this man, if he's chased down this man, who will he not chase down? Can you see why the Ethiopian like, completely changes the trajectory of his life? Because of this encounter. He finds out a God who has done everything he can to, to win him home, to bring him back. So that, that's first. The second thing that, that makes Christianity good news is it's in this Isaiah text. The Ethiopian is, is reading. And in that day, you would read out loud. So as Philip is approaching the chariot, this guy he's never met, he has no idea why God's sending him to this chariot, but he hears from the chariot Isaiah being read aloud. And here are the words that the Ethiopian's reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, if you hear that and you're like, I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> what, is that? what is he talking about? That's, that's the exact reaction of the Ethiopian. And when Philip goes over and hears this being read, he says, hey, do you know what, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian's like, I have no idea what I'm reading about right now. So if you've ever read the Bible and had no clue, that's biblical. It happened in the Bible all the time. Um, and so Philip says, no, can I explain to you what, what happened? And, and he goes into this passage, which this passage is from Isaiah 52 and 53. And you have to, to, have to know, anytime the, like a couple verses of the Hebrew scriptures are quoted in the New Testament, it's never just like only look at these two verses. You need to look at the whole chapter, the whole context. And so the Ethiopian was clearly leading, reading Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. And there are a few themes in those two chapters that are really important um, for this story in Acts 8 that I want to unpack. So if you, if you were to go to Isaiah 52 and 53 and read that passage, it would probably be really confusing. Um, but let me, there's three important things in that passage we don't, You'd want to know if, if you're understanding why it's here in Acts 8. And the first is that Isaiah 52 and 53, it's about a man who is, is suffering and is about to die. And that's, the, that's why the Ethiopian eunuch asks, who is this guy? He's suffering, he's about to die. The second thing we're told is that the reason why he's suffering, the reason why he is being, being uh, physically uh, uh, <coughs> attacked is because he, he's taking on the wounds and the griefs, and the burdens, and the sins of other people. So he's not, this guy is not suffering. He's not about to die because he's a bad person, because he's done something wrong. He's actually, he's actually taking other people's wounds, other people's griefs, and sorrows, and burdens, and sins on himself. And then the third thing we're told, and this is what's really important to the eunuch story, and it probably didn't make sense in the English because it's, it's poetry, it's language, but these last two lines, um, who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. What that's saying is, 
Like, this guy, because he's being killed so young, because he's being physically attacked and he's going to die, he can't have children. And so his life is taken away from the earth. Who can describe his generation? Which means who who can describe his kids? He doesn't have any because he's dying so young. And so the eunuch is reading this text and he's wondering, who is this person? And the reason I think he's wondering who is this person is because this person he's reading about sounds like him. He's reading about a social outcast that people are rejecting and, and, and accosting. He's reading about someone who is physically body, a physical body is being attacked and hurt, and it will mean he can't have children or a family. The eunuch reads his story, and it's, it's his story. It sounds like him, and so he asks, who is this? And so Christianity, it is, it is good news, because what I, what I think this is saying to us is that in Christianity, there is, there is a healing for every wound. And I want to unpack more about what I mean that in a second. But first, I, like, listen, many of us probably have not experienced Christianity or Christians or the church as a healing force or as a force for good in the world. And so when I say in Christianity, there's a healing for every wound, you're like, wait a minute, that's, I, Christians don't strike me as healers or the church doesn't strike me as a healing force. And that's, if that's how you feel, again, like I totally understand that. I've experienced that. But again, can we let, like, let Jesus speak for himself for a minute or God speak for himself? And before we do that, though, I do, like, I do want to affirm that, that question or that objection that the church often isn't a healing force in the world. And so for a minute, like, let's leave the desert of Acts 8 and let's go back into the corn desert of Illinois, back into that white truck with that crazy person I'm driving with. And as we're, we're driving to the tire shop, I'm just like curious because this guy's like, he's crazy. Like, who is this? Because um, he may kill me. Like, who am I spending the last minutes of my life with? And so I asked him, what's your name? And he says, it's Jimmy. And I saw Jimmy and he, he says, what's your name? I say, it's Tim. And I'm just curious, like, what does this guy do for a living? He's clearly a courageous, brave, audacious person. Uh, like, is he a hunter? Like, a farmer? Is he a mercenary? Like, a town crazy person? Like, what does he do? Um, and so I ask him, what do you do? What's your, what's your job? And he says, oh, I, I own a small chain of restaurants here in, in, central, um, in central Illinois. And I was like, oh, instantly peaked up. I spent a lot of time in central Illinois. So I'm curious if I've ever eaten at any of his restaurants. So I ask him, what's the... What's the restaurant that you own? He says, I'm the, I'm the founder and the CEO of Jimmy John's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, and this is the only question I, that came to my mind in that moment was, so you, you are Jimmy John? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jimmy John. And so we start conversing and talking, and, and I ask him, and he's just got a fascinating story. He's like, he's a guy, he took a loan out on, a, on a, a, just a win that he thought he could start a business. I mean, he's a courageous person. He's just fascinating. So we talked for a while about Jimmy John's, and I was grateful for that because in central Illinois, the town I lived in, there were like three restaurants to eat at. It was a Chinese place that was local. Um, it was the second place. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was Steak and Shake, uh, which is like, that's everywhere. And then third was Jimmy John's. Like, this, this guy, like, saved my college life on some days. Uh, save me from the cafeteria, at least. And, and so we're talking back and forth. And so then he asked me, well, what's your job? Like, what do you do for a living? And I told him, I'm a, I'm a college student. I'm studying to be a pastor. And, you know, I'm, I want to be a pastor. And, and that's where uh, I can't tell you anything more about that conversation because the rest of that conversation, it's not for Easter because it, it was very direct. And it was clear that, like, he, had, he, had de- he was deeply skeptical of the church and Christianity. And, and clearly he carried with him wounds that came from the church or Christianity. And that's, like, that's just a common experience, which is really sad. Because if you let Jesus speak for himself in Acts 8, I think you find something really deeply powerful about the Christian gospel that is not true any, of any other religion or any other faith. Because 
most religions will tell you, like, if you have a wound or if there's something wrong, with, like, if, there, if you have a sin, if you have, like, a burden, what, the, what most religions promise you is that one day you can get away from that. You can die, you can go to heaven, you don't have to deal with that anymore. And that's the good news, is you don't have to, and that's good news, certainly. Um, but that's not what Christianity says. Christianity's message, our gospel, is not that, hey, you can get away from your grief one day. You can get away from your burden and you can get away from your sorrow. And, and one day everything will be okay and you'll die. And once you die, it'll all get better. That's not, that's not what, what is happening in Acts 8. That every religion promises you relief, but Jesus does more. And it's, it's what I said a minute ago, which is that as the eunuch reads from Isaiah, it's not just that he finds a suffering servant dying for others in some general way. What he finds is that this servant, this suffering man in Isaiah 53, is the, like, it's the eunuch. That's his story. The story of a man who's physically abused so that he cannot have children. The story of a social outcast of a society who rejects, like, that is the eunuch's story. And he reads this text and he asks, he asks Philip, who is this? Who's this man? And Philip's answer, of course, is Jesus. So this morning, Elson, my guess is your wound is not the same as the eunuch's. Um, but what, what is your wound that needs healing? What's your grief? What's your sorrow? What's your sin? Because I promise you, whatever it is, if you get into the gospel story, if you get into Jesus' life, you will not just see Jesus saying to you, okay, one day you don't have to think about that anymore. One day you can go to heaven and it'll all be over. No, what you'll actually find is that your story, your wound, your grief, your sorrow, your burden, is his He took it on himself. He carried it through his life. So on Friday night at our our Good Friday service, we we asked people as they left, just what's your burden, what's your grief, your sin, your sorrow? Nail it to the cross. And you see the nail still there. We took the cards off in case there was like anything uh, personal there. And and I promise you, whatever was written on that card, um, if you dig into Jesus' gospel, his life, you will find Jesus intimately, personally, deeply invested in healing that wound and taking it on himself and entering into that sorrow and entering into that grief. And if you think I'm wrong, if you think, no, my wound's unique, let's get coffee. I think this is one of the unique aspects of the gospel is that you don't have God saying, just get through it and it'll get better. But you actually, you see him entering into our stories, entering into our griefs, our wounds, our sorrows, our burdens, our sins, and taking them on himself. In Christianity, there is a healing for every wound. Whatever your wound is, Jesus does not say to you dispassionately, get over it one day, it'll get better. No, he says, I, I was there, I've been there. And so going back to point one, if, if you're feeling that God, like God is abandoning you, he's not running after you, he's not chasing you, he's not interested in in you, then point two is it's the counteractive healing to you. That Jesus actually, he felt that he was abandoned by God. He felt that God had left him behind. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever felt abandoned by God, so did Jesus. If there's a sin pattern, something in your life you can't get over and you just feel in chains, you're never going to break that. The whole reason Jesus died was to say, trust me, I will break those chains once for all one day. I don't care what your wound is. I don't care what your sin is what your grief, your sorrow, your burden. In the gospel, 
You, do not, you will not just find Jesus saying to you, get over it. You will find him coming alongside you, coming near to you. You'll find yourself reading the gospel, reading the story of Jesus and saying, that's me. That's my, Jesus is my story. He's so identified with us. Our story has become his story. And if you put point one and point two together, it is, a, it is the power of the good news of the gospel, which is that one, God chases us down wherever we are to bring us in to his family. No matter who you are, you're not too much of an outcast. You're not too far gone. He runs us down. No matter how far the ends of the earth we go, he's there to chase us down. And the second, uh, the second point is that whatever you think keeps you from him, whatever makes you unworthy of him, whatever, keeps you, whatever distance keeps you from him, he's, he's experienced that. He's taken that on himself. Can you see why this Ethiopian changed the entire trajectory of his life because of an encounter with a stranger on the road in the middle of nowhere? So what's our response? I mean, this is true. Like, what, what are we called to do? And I love how the Ethiopian responds. His response is, verse 36, As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That our response to this gospel is, is baptism. It's getting baptized. So why? Like, why is it this beautiful story about the eunuch hearing Jesus as his own story, and his response is, i got to get baptized. Why is that? Well, baptism is about two things. One is baptism is about, it's about death. And so I, I started this sermon by saying Christianity is radically inclusive. There's a place for everyone at God's table. And yet, like, that, that is true, but there's a, there's a way that that's true, which is probably why you've experienced Christianity often is, is exclusive. And, and here's what, so you have Christianity and you have religion. Religion works in that there's a bar and the good people get over the bar and they get into heaven and they are blessed of God. But if you stay below the bar, you don't get in and you're not, uh, you're not good enough and you, you, you're not saved. And what ends up happening with religion often is the people who got above the bar look down on the people below the bar. Right? We're better than them. We have the right politics. We have the right agenda for the world. We have the right morality. We're better than those people down there. And of course it's true. If you got above the bar, you're better than the people below the bar. And that's why oftentimes religious people seem exclusive is because they are, like that's how they live. But that's not how Christianity works. Christianity has this weird tension where on the one hand, everybody's, anybody can come in. But on the other hand, everybody's out. And that's what baptism shows. If you want in, if you want to be a part of the life of Jesus, you have to die. You have to say, my way is out. And, and the irony of Christianity is not that the bar is really high and you have to work really hard. No, the bar is actually really low. But it's so low to get below it, you have to die. You have to, die. You have to say, my way of living is out. It, I'm, it won't work. My way leads to, to death. And, of course, the signs that our ways lead to death are all around us. All right, my guess is a lot of us connect with the thought that is, has God just abandoned me? Is he there? Is he want? We just feel like abandoned and forgotten a lot of times. That, that's, a, that's a death, isn't it? That's a tomb. Or we all have wounds, like we all have burdens that, that we carry that, that weigh on us, that feel like a kind of death, that feel like a burden that, that leads to death. And of course, like thirdly, we actually die. Death is the, it's the ultimate destiny for every person in this, in this room. And yet, even though all the signs are all around us that, that our way of life leads to death, it's really hard for people to get into the baptistry, to get baptized, to die, to get so low. You get low enough 
underneath the bar to become a Christian. That the tension or the irony of Christianity is that you can be too good to be to, too good and not be able to become a Christian. You can have your life too much together. You can be too nice of a person to be a Christian, but you can't be too bad of a person to be a Christian. You can't, you can't get too low. You can't get humble enough. You can, be, you can be too prideful. You can be too good. You can be too moral to be a Christian, but you can't be immoral enough. And that's what baptism is about, is that is you coming to the place of saying, all right, I have to die. I mean, it's clear I'm going to die. It's clear I'm dying, <laughs> but I have to die. I have to go under it. And that's the, that's the first thing baptism is about. The second thing baptism, though, is about is what Easter is about, which is is unending life. It's about destroying our tombs. The Jesus, as I said in point two, like he, he identifies with our deaths. Right? Like if you've ever felt abandoned by God, Jesus identified with that, and he's chasing after you. He wants to destroy that death you feel when you feel like God doesn't want to be near you, he doesn't want to know you. Or the wound, your burden, your grief, your sorrow, your sin, whatever that is, Jesus so identified with that, he took it on the cross. He wants to destroy that death in you. And thirdly, what, the, what today is about is that all of us will die and go into a grave. And Jesus is about emptying that tomb out. And in baptism, what we do is we identify in, in his story. So like Jesus comes, he, he identifies with our story, right? He takes on our grief, our burden, our sorrow. And in baptism, what we do is we say to Jesus, I'm leaving that story and I'm joining your story. I'm leaving the story of death that is wearing me out and I'm joining your story of unending life. And that's what Easter, that's what today is about. Easter is good news because in Christianity, there is life that never ends. Right? It's, it would not be enough if I just came up and said, listen, Jesus, he took on your griefs, your sorrows, your burdens, and he died. And that's it. Like, that wouldn't be good news. I mean, it'd be nice if someone, like, loved us that much to experience what we experienced, to know us from the inside. That would be nice, but that wouldn't be victory. Like, that wouldn't lead to unending life. But that's not what happened to Jesus. When he took those griefs and sorrows and burdens onto himself, onto a cross, and went into a tomb, he came out three days later showing his life is more powerful than any tomb or any death you or I experience. And when the Philip pulled up next to the Ethiopian, that's what he told him. That's the good news about Jesus, is that the eunuch's broken, outcast, destroyed life has healing in Jesus' resurrection. That first, this Ethiopian is not forgotten. God will go to the ends of the earth to find us. That secondly, the Ethiopian's wound does not have the last word in his life. Jesus took that story on himself and overcame the grave. And third, what today is all about is that the eunuch, even if he experienced healing in those two ways, he's still going to die. And Jesus overcame that tomb too. And his life, from this news, changed in an instant. And I realize for many of us, like, again, maybe you're sitting there thinking, this has just been bad news. I've only experienced the church as painful, or this is old news. I just want, like, this, Acts 8 still happens today. People encounter the news of Jesus, and it becomes, they, maybe they've heard it, maybe they've, maybe they've known it, but they experience it in a fresh way. This still happens. And for a moment, we just want to pause and take a look at one of those stories. So take a look at this video. When I tried this many years ago, when I say tried this, it's the walk of faith, right? When I just tried to do it the, the godly way. And I would always start from the beginning in Genesis, but okay, let me read this. And I never 
exceeded Genesis. <laughs> it was just not easy. It was not comfortable for me. We give all the wrong people all of our time, all of our love when the Lord was there from the very beginning. And it just resonated with I'm like, mm, you preaching to me. Like, <laughs> I need to come back. I need to learn more about this. My probably most memorable moment, moment at the church has not happened yet. I will be baptized, and I am super pumped about this. Cynthia has become uh, a friend, and I've been so excited to journey with her and her walk with Christ. So, India, tell us this afternoon, this evening, why do you want to be baptized? Well, to be honest, the Lord has been calling me for many years, but I put them on hold. I took other calls for his for many years, and it wasn't until a year ago where I found myself begging him not to wake me up. I was at the lowest point, and he woke me up. And he told me that it's time for purpose. And it's the best conversation I've been having with him since I answered the call. It's been a long walk. I love that, especially the, like, I couldn't get through Genesis. If you've never been able to, like, try to read through Genesis and it didn't happen, join the, join the club. That's a big club. Um, but just, I, as, we, as we close this morning, I want to reflect on the question, are you, are you baptized? If the answer is, is yes, then remember your baptism. Because in your baptism, two things are happening. One, you were recognizing that Jesus had identif- so identified with you and your death and your wounds and your griefs and your sorrows and your burdens that you let someone put you underwater, which is, that's death. But it's not, just that, it's not just that you identified, or that Jesus identified with your story. When you were raised out of the water, that was you saying, I am now in Jesus' story of unending life. I'm united to him. He's the one directing my story now. So if, if you've been baptized, remember your baptism. You're in Jesus' story now. His, your wounds are his wounds, and they have healing, right? You, your burdens are his burdens, and they have healing. You are now in his story of unending life. And the answer, if you've not been baptized, then get baptized. I mean, literally, we have a baptism service next Sunday. That should be your next step. And I love the, the Ethiopian's question to this is, what's, to, what's there to prevent me from being Baptized. It's a great question because the reality is the only thing that prevents us from being baptized is, is willing to get lower. Right? I still often hear like, people say, well, I don't know enough or I'm not sure I'm ready. It's like, no, like, you don't have to get to the bar to get baptism. You have to get low. You have to die. You have to not know anything. Right? That's a great place to be, to be baptized. Get lower. Die. Give up to yourself. See that your own story leads to death and join Jesus in his story. And if you're thinking, I don't know, like, and I think this is where we should all end from this story. Is Doesn't your heart, like you hear this story, doesn't your heart want this to be true? Don't we want to believe there's a God who is a father who chases us down to the ends of the earth to bring us home? Don't we want to believe that for every grief and burden and sorrow and sin we experience in this life, it's not just the one day we can get out of it, but it, it, actually there's a God who's like entered that, who knows that who can walk with us through that, not as a God looking down on us with condescension, but a God looking at us eye to eye because he, he lived that life. That story you're experiencing was his story. And above all, none of us want to think that we go into the grave and that's it, right? That our hearts want this story to be true. And our hearts want this story to be true for a reason. 
Because it is true. Our hearts long for this because this is true. And what today is about, what Easter is about, it's not just about Jesus coming out of his, his tomb. Yes, it's about that. But Easter is about us coming out of our tombs, us overcoming our wounds, us finding healing and finding a God who has chased us down, entered into our death, gone into our grave, and come out to unending life. Let's pray. Uh, God, as we, as we pause to respond to this story, God, I pray you would just put in us the truth that you are you're coming after us, you're pursuing us. Even right now, God, whether we feel it or not, objectively, it is true that you have done so much to get near to us. And so, God, as we respond in worship, lead our hearts. God, as human beings, we can only do so much. We can travel great distances. We can read your scriptures. But, God, we need you to chase us down. Would you do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.